0: You're listening to the Canucks Hockey Podcast, coming at you pre taped from Mom's face. Hey Mom! The meatloaf!
1: We want it now!
0: It's the Vancouver Canucks Hockey Podcast, with a sense of entitlement that nobody saw her. What is
1: she doing? I never know what she's doing back there. Now, here are your
0: hosts, Jeremy Davis and Joseph Dylan Burke.
1: Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Canucks Army podcast. I believe this is the fourth of its kind. I will be one of your hosts today. I am J.D. Burke, the managing editor of Canucks Army, and I'm joined, as always, by fellow co-host Jeremy Davis, or as we like to call him the Canucks Army Slack, Jeremy without Twitter Davis. How are you doing today, Jeremy?
0: I'm doing well. I'm still without Twitter.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we also call you Sad Twins fan, too. Just throw know- that in there. They won um, a game recently. They they've been getting a lot of play on TV. I know this isn't really Canucks related, and we we might be you know losing members of the audience by the second here. They can fast forward this. Exactly, and I've been seeing a lot of Twins on TV, and every time I'm like, I hope Jeremy's watching.
0: I'm not. I didn't. I didn't even realize it's probably because they're epically bad.
1: Like their uh, winning
0: percentage is like 280. That seems bad. It's pretty bad. You're not supposed
1: to do that. No, but that sounds like the uh, the exact same win percentage the San Jose Sharks had in Stanley Cup Finals. Hey, that's pretty close. Right in that neighborhood. Did you catch all the games, all six of them? I
0: didn't catch all of them. I caught parts of all of them. I watched um, the last one.
1: It was kind of funny. The hockey seemed to vary from either excellent to god-awful and extremely lopsided. And when the hockey was good, the Sharks seemed to stand a chance. They could keep the game competitive, and there was a nice flow. When the Penguins were dominant, though, I think the Sharks had three or four, some obscenely low amount of shots in the last 25 minutes of the elimination game. It was like three I, or four I, I shots. Believe
0: they had, um, I believe they had two shots in the third period of game six, and one of those shots came after the empty net goal
1: right so which is just bonkers which is
0: weird there's there's parts where it didn't look that lopsided
1: exactly it, it looked definitely it looked
0: scrambly a lot right because of the speed but it's like scrambly tilted immensely in one direction
1: yeah i mean full credit to to mike sold and the I got to say, by the end of these playoffs, he, he skyrocketed up my charts to maybe a top five coach in the league.
0: I'm telling and, you, they should hang on to that guy.
1: Yes, yes, forgive and he's me. He's not for the kind of coach has... you want to just let go. No, no. <laughs> Sign him to a long year, max term, max money deal. That's right. Just don't boot him out the door just because you're booting someone else out. Is that,
0: Does that seem right?
1: That seems fair to me. He uh, He's a guy who. As soon as he took over in Pittsburgh, you could totally notice instantly an uptick in their score. Justin Corsi, which is of course the king of all predictive metrics for goals, which of course leads to wins. What was really cool is he started doing interviews, and I love listening to hockey people talk. Which is gonna sound weird because I am a uh, quote unquote analytics guy, but uh, you know he's right up there with Bill Peters, and uh, gee, who else? I'd say those two are probably the two best coaches to listen to on any given day. And I listened to an interview with him, and I was like, this guy really gets it. <laughs> and one of the things he talked about was that he let the uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, he lets his wingers leave the zone early. And once they cross the blue line, he actually takes uh, a step back from the reins, and he lets the, the players have a lot of creativity and input into how they run their offense. Man, how do you argue with that after the season they've had? I am damn impressed.
0: Very impressive. And uh, what do you say in this? Do they have the makings of a dynasty in the uh, modern sense of the word? Like a 3-6 like a and six or a 2-4 and four, like Chicago and LA have been doing?
1: Ooh, that's tough. I mean, here's the thing about the Penguins. They don't have any spare capital this offseason. I think I went to their uh, general manager page, and they've got literally $0 to spend. So they're going to have to offload some money. You'd like to think that they can get rid of uh, Mark andre Fleury and his, I think he's at about $5 million. That would give them a little flexibility, but...
0: 5.75 I've got here.
1: Oh, well, that's even better than I thought. But, um, you know, they're not going to be able to retain Schultz. Uh, I don't know who's up for extensions right now, but I know that uh, Matt Colin and Eric Fair were on one-year deals. So it's going to be tough for them to get back there next season. Uh,
0: Eric Fair is actually signed for two more years. Uh, here's
1: Wait, he is?
0: Yeah. Oh, geez. Okay, Maybe never mind them. I'm not even looking at uh, when he was signed, but he's got two more years at $2 million. Here's what I can tell you, and here's why I think that they're set up pretty well. Um, they have Evgeny Malkin, Sidney Crosby, and Phil Kessel all signed for at least six more seasons. They've got uh, Carl Hagelin for three more. They've got Benito next year at one point nine.
1: Is that the last year on his deal?
0: That's the last year on his deal. Right. That insanely low cap deal. Yep. His best. And they've got set, uh, Patrick Hornquist salary. for two more years as well. They got Chris Letang for six more years, Oli Mata for six more years. Yeah. They, and then they've got um you know, some of their their young guys who came in and produced this year, you know, Connor Sheary, Brian Rust, they're on entry level deals. And even when they come off those deals, they're not going to be making bank-breaking money. Nope.
1: Right. That's so the beauty of homegrown players.
0: Yeah. Right. And I mean, Mark Andre Fleury, when he was healthy, was fantastic this year. But they went all the way to the Stanley Cup without him in the playoffs, given for a couple of spot appearances. Uh, but they might be able to do without that if not now. In the next couple of years, they might be able to do without that five point seven five million dollar cap hit.
1: Yeah, I mean, is there are any of their RFAs up this year? Like, what about Oli Matta? You think that he's got to be up for a new contract soon, right? He's
0: got a new contract.
1: Oh, he does. Okay, four million
0: dollars and change for until twenty one twenty two. So six more seasons. Oh wow, like, they've I'm way behind They got all 90s. of their big name players <laughs> locked up for a long time.
1: Well, I mean that certainly makes matters easier. I mean,
0: and then all you got to do is not screw up the
1: background players. Yeah. Well, in that case, they don't really have any holes to fill now, do they?
0: <laughs> no, not really.
1: I mean, you've got to you got to find a way to replace Matt Cullen, but again, you can find his replacement for cheap in August any year, so that shouldn't be too difficult.
0: You do have to find a replacement for Tom Sestito, though. He's a UFA. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry. Do you mean top sixty though? Top sixty though. One of my favorite Canucks Army memories is still when we were having a fundraiser at the Pint. Um, and I think he actually scored a goal. And one of us started a top Dito chant in the middle of the Pint. And before you know it, everybody was in on it. And the whole place was rocking for a Tom Sistito goal. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we lost the game, too. I mean,
0: he was something.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the I mean, broke Imagine well how
0: impressive it is that the the Penguins managed to get as far as they did without a top six player like top six Dito. Like if they can do that, what can't they do? That's what I want to know.
1: Well, in all seriousness though, I think one of the, one of the cool things is how far they got with that patchwork blue line. I mean, Brian Dumoulin is a lot better than people give him credit for granted. Uh, I know in Pittsburgh they call him baby Paul Martin or something to that effect. <laughs> But, you know, when you got Ian Cole eating top four minutes in the Stanley Cup final, uh, I'm sure most would agree that that's not necessarily the recipe for success. And somehow they did it. It it reminded me of 2012 when the New Jersey Devils had their their no-name defense or whatever. Yeah. Of course, they didn't have a Chris Letang, but yeesh. I don't know how you win a cup with Ian Cole in your top four.
0: Brian Dumoulin's been something special. And he's back next year for eight hundred thousand dollars.
1: You know what the funniest thing is? You look at um, you look at Derek Pouliot, who was the the pick they used from the Jordan Stall trade. So they got Brandon Sutter, uh, the pick they used on Derek Pouliot, and Brian Dumoulin. And,
0: and Pouliot, I believe, was at what a tenth overall. Uh,
1: I think he was higher, seventh or eighth, even somewhere around there. And I don't think anybody yeah. at the time anticipated that Brian Dumoulin would be the best piece that Pittsburgh got back.
0: No, no one would. He's like a (laughs) throw-in.
1: And here we are.
0: Which is funny. I was hearing this on the radio as well. People were talking about it. And um, they're saying this is the season for trades coming up, right? Yes. Uh, The next 10 days or so as we head into the draft. To really pay attention to the guys who are thrown in on the end of deals. Because, you know, even the big-name players... When we're talking about younger players, anyways, they're not guarantees, right? They obviously the probability of them succeeding is far higher than these throw-in players. But it does happen from time to time that these throw-in players become the best parts of those deals.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, uh, there weren't any throw-ins with Jordan Stall, but if you want to look at a high-profile acquisition that maybe uh, fell short of expectations, while we're on the topic of that trade, I think you could look right at Jordan Stahl as one. Uh, One such player. Of course, you could look, like we just said, Brian. In terms of
0: him going to Carolina.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say he's been bad. Uh, There's, there's a difference between disappointing and bad. Though that's often lost. Been some injury problems there as well, right? Yeah, yeah, but um.
0: And he's on a crappy team.
1: It never helps. You watch out. Carolina is gonna make some noise. Maybe not next year, but the year after. I think they've been a top-five score-adjusted Corsi team since Bill Peters took over. They're doing some pretty cool things. I'm a Carolina believer. you say so. <laughs> <laughs> you don't seem as convinced.
0: Uh, I'll believe when I see that. I haven't been paying as much attention to these score-adjusted Corsis. So
1: I'll that's, take your word on that. That's my one go-to. No, they, they've definitely been a top-five team for as long as uh, he's been around, which is just super impressive when you look at what he has to work with
0: yeah and, and i'll admit I, i'm a bit um, naive on some of the out-of-market teams i've been in the blog sphere for about a year now uh been a little over that long since i started my own thing and then i came to Connects army uh i don't know august uh, and before that before i really started blogging i didn't pay a whole lot of attention beyond my own borders right so I'm just kind of getting more into that now. So there's a lot of things about other teams that I'm still learning.
1: Well, I mean, that's that's sort of the fun of being on Twitter, is that you're exposed to all these new markets, especially when you start sharing information and ideas the way. Uh, for example, you're part of the Passing Project. Right. So you're you're exposed to the work of Brian Simpson, who is a New Jersey Devils blogger.
0: Right, and I got uh, to interact with him and, and uh, a lot of other people from, uh, I think they had... I don't know, representatives of eighteen different teams or something like that. A,
1: that sounds right? Yeah, right in the neighborhood of where they were at. Yeah, I mean, like twenty years ago, what were the odds you would ever find somebody who was uh, as huge a market, sorry, as huge a fan of an out of market player as some people have become? You know, uh, huge Eric Carlson fans in Vancouver, or in my case, Val Nichushkin, or whatever. It's it's like hockey globalization, man, and it's real.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you go back a little bit farther, you'll find some of that because the Canucks were so terrible, right, They're not terrible right. like they are now, like terrible, terrible, terrible. You know, uh, after expansion stuff like that, and even towards the mid to late eighties, uh, you will find a lot of sorry, <clears throat> you'll find a lot of people who were fans of other teams because they just didn't want to watch our own team, especially the older people who grew up being halves fans or. Bruins fans or God forbid Leafs fans, anyways.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's another thing. They were exposed solely to those, those right. Yeah,
0: in the, the old uh, original six era, and then their children a lot would would uh, have some appreciation for whatever team their parents were a fan of because there's you know Habs jerseys hanging on the wall or anything, something like that. Um, actually, just saw that video that the Canucks posted where Ben Hutton was showing off some of his jerseys, and it's like the uh, the retro jersey. That he wore last year and his team Canada jersey, and then a Habs jersey because his dad was a Habs fan.
1: Huh. I mean, Hutton's from Ontario, though, right? Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I guess that kind of speaks to the point though about out of market fandom. But I guess uh, the next, uh, the next big topic on the the local fans' mind is the buyout window. And I think we should definitely uh, spend a solid chunk of time on that because that is something that's going to affect the Canucks. In all likelihood, for the first time since uh, David Booth. Buyout window opens up tomorrow. We're recording this on a Tuesday.
0: Right, yeah, and that was a compliance.
1: Yes, that was of the compliance variety, the Canucks last such buyout. And yeah, so
0: like you mentioned there, we're, we are recording this on a Tuesday, and it's probably going to get posted on Thursday. That's been mm-hmm. the pattern. Yeah. So there's been a number of occasions already where it's the uh, listeners, assuming there are some, uh, get a little bit of dramatic irony because they often know things that we don't. Yes. So, so I guess... We're going to be talking about this purely from a hypothetical perspective, but some of you out there probably already know the answer.
1: I mean, here's the thing. Let's let's maybe uh, approach this from... Uh... Let's just assume that Burroughs and/or Higgins was bought out. Would you have pulled the trigger on that decision uh, for for either individual or for the pair and um, and why?
0: Uh, I would not do both.
1: Which of the two would you do?
0: If I was gonna do one, I would do Higgins.
1: Yeah, I you know there's a part of me that's just so stubborn and upset by what happened with with Higgins because, He's still an NHL player, and last year he got hurt. His shooting percentage dipped. But if you want to look at it from a game-to-game basis, who is helping the Canucks win? Chris Higgins is having a much better impact on the Canucks' ability to win than Derek Dorsett.
0: Oh, God. Well, he, he got, um, I was about to say dfa which means I've been paying too much attention to baseball, but he got waived before Brandon Prust did,
1: which yes. is
0: just unreal.
1: Well, I mean, like, Brandon Press can't skate anymore. <laughs> no. But, I mean... He, he couldn't at the time. No. Um, of course, uh, a Higgins buyout is more amenable to the team than, uh, than say, Dorsett, who signed for another three seasons, because you really have to give term to fourth liners. Um, I think the buyout cost for for Higgins is... Basically, they'll have to pay out 800k for the next two seasons, and that will be the cap hit, which is which is totally doable, and it saves the Canucks about uh, 1.7 million against the cap,
0: which is not nothing, especially when they have a tendency to go up against it. I mean, even if they're not trying, they usually end up there anyways.
1: Yeah, and I think the Canucks are going to end up in that spot this offseason. so it helps. I mean. There's, there's your depth defender, I guess. That's the way to look at it. $1.6 That's there's your Barkowski. <laughs> just, that's year. exactly what I
0: was just going to say. Your Barkowski
1: 2.0. Now, Burroughs, let's look at how much it costs to buy out him. Okay, so Burroughs is um, $4.5 million. cap. $4.5 against the cap. His buyout cost is $1 million. His buyout cap hit next season would be $2.5 which means that the Canucks would save two against the cap.
0: Right, so obviously you're saving more money by buying out burrows, but uh, I would stick to my guns and like I I don't uh, I don't like to advocate for people losing their jobs because I'm a big softy. Um, but if I'm choosing one, I'm I'm picking the guy that managed to stick around the entire year, even if he does cost an extra two million dollars. I don't think that he's also two years older. I don't think that the Canucks desperately need that two million dollars so badly. I'd rather them just stick with Burroughs. It's one more season. I just I don't want to live in a world where Alex Burroughs is getting bought out. Yeah. doesn't yeah. sit right with me.
1: Uh, I mean, on the one hand, is there really a place for loyalty in sports? On the other, I make an exception for Burroughs and the Sedins.
0: Right. <laughs> and, and I would say there's more room for loyalty in sports when you're on a team in the midst of a downtrend. Like, if you're pushing for you know a cup run this year you can't afford you need that two million dollars somewhere else then obviously you're gonna have to say sorry bros you're gone but that's not the case in fact they need older guys they they can't run an entire team of these under 24 players that they've been acquiring like that's what you get hockey that you saw at the end of last season which is bad, bad hockey to watch. And it, it poisons everything around it. You can't evaluate players properly because everyone's playing terrible.
1: I would tend to agree. I think there's definitely a place for veterans in the Canucks lineup. One thing I've been thinking about, though, is, and I'm not sure you, that you'll find this, this suggestion um, preferable to the buyout, but you, you have to think that there should be a market for Alex Burrows at one year making $3 million in real dollars. Well, I would think so. I'm not saying that we can get anything that necessarily moves the needle, but you'd like to think if we can maybe retain salary or uh, make him a part of a package deal that a team like Arizona or perhaps even Carolina, who are very far away from the the salary cap floor, might be interested in a player that's got a um, much lower actual salary than cap it. I think there should be a market for Burroughs. I mean, I used to think that about uh, Higgins too, though, right? So I've been Mm -hmm. wrong before. There's a tendency to believe in the players that you have. The endowment effect. That's right. And uh, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. Let's say they do keep Burrows. Where do you put him in the lineup? The days of Burroughs on the Sedins line, those are done.
0: No, and I was advocating that at parts last year, and, and he did try it on occasion, and it's it's clearly not the same. No. Just doesn't have that gear, which is fine. He's he's 35, and the Sedins are 35, but, you know, not everybody can stay at that pace they are generational talents right or maybe not generational they're elite talents yeah and uh, sometimes we forget that and we look at burrows and think hey why are you not producing like you were 5 years ago well it's because he's 30 freaking 5 yep um but i think that they could still make room for him in the bottom 6 i think he still has the type of game and he's been transitioning to that, more or less, in the last couple of years anyways. I think he could still survive for at least another season in the bottom six on a team like the Canucks. And I'm sure they could find a place to put him. Yeah, I would like to think so.
1: Uh, and if he I mean, has to
0: start taking the occasional healthy scratch, he already seemed open to that last year. Like, they talked about it. It never happened. Uh, as far as we know, there was, like I think, a, a game he sat out due to injury, but... I always got a little bit suspicious at some points that they they weren't just sitting guys and saying that it was injuries because they didn't want to admit that
1: they were scratching
0: like Lyndon Bay or something like that. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this hasn't been the most honest regime in spite of what everyone tells you.
0: (laughs) No, which is weird because, yeah, I mean, they, they pride themselves on that, but it's really, everything's about PR.
1: Oh, totally. This is the used car salesman of the NHL. Yeah, this this franchise. I mean, I, I'm totally going off topic with this, but speaking of totally, yeah. You know, what else is name? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Disingenuous Canucks PR This is clients. the
0: most tangential podcast I have come across. I think.
1: No, 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 no. Hockey graphs has this beat. They oh, that's have true. Beat. Um, but no. Do you remember when uh, when the Good Branson trade went through and and everybody was going betting, but he he's a poor possession player. Yada yada yada. And Benning goes, um, I'll be completely honest with you. We didn't use analytics in Boston. What a complete load of horse crap. <laughs> they absolutely used analytics in Boston. Yeah. Peter Shirelli has been on the, the panel at Sloan, and they actually promoted somebody from within hockey operations to the director of hockey operations and analytics in 2014. And at the press conference, Shirelli confirmed that analytics have always been a relatively large part of what they do in Boston.
0: Right. I think maybe that was more of um, him saying, uh, "I didn't pay attention to the analytics in Boston." Well, <laughs> someone wrote an article on this on uh, today's Slapshot. I think it was Catherine Silverman. I think he might be right. Yeah, she's a fantastic writer. Yeah, she is. We should get her on our on our site. She wrote something today. Oh, yeah, I was being facetious. She's afraid of Nemo.
1: Yeah, that's true. Anyway, it's funny he calls for me to be fired on your articles too. Well, what are you gonna do?
0: Yeah. <laughs> he's a contemptuous um,
1: being. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine. But yeah, sorry, I didn't even cut you off. That
0: Anyways, case. yeah. Um, so she wrote an article on today's Slapshot that was directly related to that statement. And this is about w- regardless of whether or not they were using analytics, and we know that they were. They had a team full of players who had excellent analytical numbers. So... There's a gigantic flaw in logic there saying that, well, we didn't use analytics, so therefore analytics are necessary. You had a team full of guys, even if you didn't know it, you had a team full of guys who were very, very strong possession players. And it's a big part of why you were successful. And you went out and cherry-picked a player off another team with very poor analytical numbers. And you can't just equate that and saying, "Well, I didn't know these guys had good analytical numbers, so I'm just going to ignore this guy's bad analytical numbers, and we'll just see how it works out."
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if if you there's would...
0: there's a there's a lot of different um, layers to all of that because we know that some of the things that they said were not true. Like if he speaks on the Boston Bruins in general, not using analytics, which he did, we know that that's not true. So. It's hard to pick out if he's telling a fib or if he's um, if he just is oblivious to it. Like you, you don't really know. So we're speculating on top of flimsy ground.
1: Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, uh, yeah, you, you'd you'd have to agree though that he leaves himself open to that line of cri- uh, criticism when he makes such a declarative statement like that. Though. He does,
0: and I think we talked about that in person one day. That someone needs to sit him down and say, this is what we'd like you to say if someone ever asked you about analytics. Just have, like, a go-to line or series of sentences that you say. Uh, And I don't know what it would be. Like, um, yeah, we use it. We didn't use it on this particular deal, but we see value in it. Something, something, something. Whatever it is. And just stick to that. Instead of just kind of brushing it aside and saying, like, well, you know, we don't need to use it
1: then vitamins, supplements, etc. Stuff about vitamins and... The thing is, the Canucks have an analytics guy. They, they do. They have, they have John Wallen. He, he does an excellent job, and and I know they've developed some of their own internal metrics. I, I don't know what they are, but uh, they as an organization are skeptical of, of shot-based metrics. So, instead of going uh, all this stuff is useless, or we give this stuff a spot at the kiddies' table, you could tell us we have internal metrics that show player X's value.
0: Right, and that wouldn't be hard. It doesn't even have to be true.
1: No. it's, it's a lot At least no one would know it's a lie. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Which you can't say about the way they handled it in this situation.
1: No, no. Well, I mean, on the bright side, I just thought about it. Maybe that uh, rant about Benning and the, the used car salesman organization wasn't so bad a tangent to go on, because I think next on our agenda was We're going to discuss the coaching carousel. Yes, we are. We're about to lose Glenn Goldson. It's happening.
0: It probably already happened to you people listening to this.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry about that. (laughs) Um, Good for him. I'm happy for the guy. And I'm not overly upset in the sense that I I think he's done a fine job of our penalty kill, but I think it's a loss we can more than live with.
0: I think so, too. And it's always nice to see people... Get promoted. I, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like career
1: advancement. As do I. It's good for everybody. And uh, it's not like he got, it's not like he got much of a fair shake in, uh, in Dallas. I mean, the roster he had to work with in his one full season was <laughs> not so good, not so good. But uh, it'll be interesting. I think he's more of a defensive ace. I think that's sort of where he's uh, his game is rooted in. Which, uh, which actually carries a certain amount of weight now. I think three or four years ago, everybody was a defensive coach. But um, it will be interesting to see what Goldson does because he's always been lauded with the Canucks for the way he handles the younger players. Right. And there's no shortage of that in Calgary.
0: <laughs> That's right. And there's no shortage of defensive problems either. No. And they have talent for days in the back end.
1: Oh, Just wait until like, Rasmus Anderson and Oliver Shillington... Uh, you know, Yakum Nakladela is right on the cusp. They got some guys coming out too. It's it it's just now. it's ridiculous. Yeah.
0: So if you could rein those guys in, then.
1: Well, I mean, good. they already got a game out of Oliver Shillington last season. Yeah. Which is, uh, I remember I spoke to some scouts at a Giants game, and I was like, Yeah, well, give me your thoughts on Shillington. Never going to play an NHL game. Scouts really don't like Shillington. And it was. It wasn't just them. Like he was very low on most, um, like McCain's or future considerations, hockey prospects. I think they all had him pretty low last year.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. It was cool because three months later he was playing a game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know the the Canucks' army prospect profiles had him in, I believe, the first round, right oh, on the I test. Oh,
0: I, I think it was thirteenth.
1: Oh, really? That high? Yeah, because
0: I, I was just um, re-browsing the twenty fifteen draft
1: profiles the other day. Yeah, I've done a little bit of that myself. <laughs> they did some good work. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. I'm pretty happy with our version, though. Yeah, I think we would be good. I think we've we've done well. So we're gonna lose Goldson. I I wonder if the Canucks are gonna fill that vacancy with Travis Green or. Or, I mean, it's, it's such a convoluted situation because they already have three assistants, right? That's right, yeah. Or if they're going to move Lidster onto the bench. Was it
0: Lidster? No, or... uh, it's uh, Lidster's already on the bench. Perry Pern, who's right.
1: upstairs. Perry Pern. The eye in the sky. Uh they interesting. to like that setup. Interestingly enough, though, Perry Pern actually ran the Winnipeg Jets penalty kill, if memory serves.
0: So there's a, a nice little opening there.
1: Yes. They and have options. And I don't necessarily know if Travis Green is going to want to take an assistant coach's uh, an assistant coach's gig.
0: It, yeah, it doesn't seem like it, given what um, some of the industry experts have been saying. They they seem to think he's he's dead set on being head coach, and he'll just patiently wait for his opportunity to do that.
1: And I mean, he's so young for for a head coach. He's so young. He'll get a shot.
0: Oh yeah, he'll 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 get a shot for sure.
1: I mean, frankly, I don't know if Wooly Desjardins is going to make the year.
0: No, and there's a lot of people that think that if they stumble out of the gate that his leash won't be particularly long. He might last 20 games because they they seem a bit hesitant to pull the trigger on stuff like that. 20, 30 games maybe, depending on how bad it is. And there's a lot of people that think it's not going to be so good. It probably depends on injuries. They've shown in each of the last three seasons that they can get off to pretty hot starts.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Not so much last year, but even in the Torts here, they got out of the gate uh, quite well.
1: So oh, going to have to go right. They could the put
0: off any sort of coaching changes depending on degrees of luck, either with uh, injuries or shooting percentages, that sort
1: of thing. Yeah, I mean, personally speaking, I set the over-under at December, and... So, yeah,
0: about 30 games.
1: Uh, yeah, about 30 games. Yeah, what a shame, too. You know, I, I, you feel bad for the guy, because look at how we were just talking about how young Travis Green is. The same, unfortunately, cannot be said of Lily Desjardins, and you wonder if there's another NHL coaching job on the horizon for him. So we probably shouldn't write him off entirely just yet, out of fairness.
0: No, yeah, but it is, it's hard to see. Sometimes people come in on bad teams, and it's hard for them to get another shake. Yeah. Like this is these are um, different examples but you can look at the Oilers and see what happens with them and they're like coach killers right Yeah um and both these examples are much younger guys but Dallas Akin's uh he, that was his first job and he's going to have trouble finding another one I'm sure he eventually will because he's so young but it's a bit difficult for him to live that down he has to explain away the disaster that it was Yeah and then there's a similar situation with Todd Nelson, who was the coach in Oklahoma City, who got promoted to the bench when Aikens was fired, and then of course unceremoniously tossed aside when Todd McClellan became available. So he waited patiently for his chance to get onto an NHL bench, and what he had to deal with was an Edmonton team that was already in the toilet with 20 games to go in the season. And then they did that weird thing where Craig McTavish came down from the press box and, like, stood with him and held his hand on the bench for six games.
1: Yeah. It just, <laughs> just which is so like, weird. <laughs> Oilers,
0: right? So yeah. McTavish.
1: Well,
0: but yeah. that's, like, he would have been much better off if they just left him alone in Oklahoma City and found some other coach. Or, like, used one of their, or just had McTavish down there and finished the season. Like, yeah. Todd Nelson probably had a better chance of getting another job if he just stayed in the AHL. Instead, he has to go up and sully whatever reputation he might have been able to garner by being associated with the Oilers.
1: Another guy, too, who, who got lost in the, the shuffle with Edmonton was uh was Ralph Kruger. He was actually doing an okay job. He was actually doing an okay job, and then a year later, he was in Switzerland. I think it was Ralph Kruger.
0: Yeah, he, yeah that's the Oilers' effect.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just just a weird situation, and and uh, they,
0: they, they've got to fix it sooner or later. You think you look at we threw some shade on Peter Shirelli last uh, episode, but he's miles better than Craig McTavish.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would concede that.
0: And you know uh, Todd McClellan is a good coach. He never got over the hump in San Jose. He does have a cup ring with Detroit, though. Um, and mm-hmm. you know they got to turn the corner. Connor McDavid is going to drag that team kicking and screaming to the playoffs at some point. I don't think it's going to be this year. But the year after it, probably. Well, it Along depends. with um, Taylor Hall and and Dreisaitl. Like, they'll drag a team into the playoffs, whether they
1: like it or not. A lot of it's going to depend on what they can do with that blue line. Right. They can't afford another Griffin-Reinhardt mistake, I'll tell you that much. No,
0: and, and that will be the difference between those three forwards dragging a team into the playoffs and actually earning a spot in there and having a chance to do something once they get there.
1: Yep. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I mean, yeah, they got Connor McDavid. I think he was a 2.7 points per 60 last year as a rookie, which is obscene. He was
0: oh, he's unreal.
1: They've got Taylor Hall who is probably one of the two best two-way wingers in the league. Yeah. I mean, they, they got such a solid foundation. They really should put together put it together at some point. You would think. You would think. I mean, um,
0: people have been saying that for years. Yeah, they that. Because Taylor has played six seasons in the league now.
1: Oh, that poor guy and his rather his large forehead.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, their chances got a little bit better today when Randy Carlisle was hired. <laughs> That's right. Randy Carlisle's back in the league. Even the Canucks man, if they can if they can add the right piece in free agency and stay healthy, I know they're one or two injuries away from having their season implode. I get it. But if they can stay healthy and make the right addition in free agency, the Pacific Division just got that much weaker.
0: Right. And there's differing opinions on how the Sharks are gonna be next year. I've seen people who were saying, Well, I mean, they were just in the in the finals. Thornton just put up eighty-two points, like they're not going away. And I've heard other people say this was like their last gasp. Like they were already basically done, and they just had some sort of last gasp, clawed their way in, and went on this kind of magical run. And it's hard to tell which area holds more truth. And I know that uh they've got more to the team, a lot more to the team than just the old guys, Thornton and Marlowe and some of their their better players are, are much younger. Like Logan Couture, led the entire playoffs in scoring. He's at 26, I believe.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, 27.
0: 27, okay. Um, and they got a lot of young guys on the team, but you don't know exactly how dominant they'll be able to be if some of those guys can't repeat their very good years. They are going to lose some guys off of their team they can't afford to keep.
1: Yeah, but you know what? I'm just looking at their cap situation right now, and they look like they're in pretty good shape. They're going to have about $10 million to spend, and they don't really have anybody uh, big to replace. They've got Nick Spaulding coming off the books, uh, Thomas Hurdle, Matt Nieto, Zubris, Haley. We're not talking about any uh, any huge pieces. There's certainly none that are going to get paid.
0: No, um, I mean, Hurdle's going to get a decent raise. Um, you got portions of your bottom six in there.
1: Yeah, but you, you can find a Nick in free agency for about a $1
0: yeah, that's true. They have a, a lot of contracts coming off the books pretty soon. I'm just looking at their numbers as well. They're good for next year, obviously. But after that, they don't have much going on. Like, Thorne's up, Marlowe's up, Wingles, Tommy Wingles. He's up. Melko Carlson, Don Scoy. He's a lot of RFAs as well.
1: Burns. Brent Burns, yeah. Mirko Mueller. You know what they have working in their favor, though? Timo Meyer and Nikolai Goldobin.
0: That's true. But I mean, who's going to replace eighty-two points from Joel Thornton?
1: Yeah, true enough. True enough. I, I, yeah, I think the world of Joe Thornton. He's he's an amazing, amazing center. Yeah, first ballot Hall of Famer. Yes. Well, I guess uh, before we move on entirely from the coaching carousel, though, there was a, a bit of news that dropped today that was uh, Canucks relevant, and we managed to keep Rolly Malonson.
0: Yeah, and we didn't know if that was going to happen, so that is actually kind of a nice surprise.
1: Yes, the people I spoke with in uh, towards the end of the season were making it sound like he's gone, complete write-off. You know, or write your write your roly Melanson for the Canucks eulogy, but uh, yes,
0: there were um, certain writers who were already doing that.
1: Yeah, I, I was one of them. I wrote the. Um... I wrote the article uh, that that broke down the Kevin Woodley report that he was leaving the Canucks. Right. And again, same thing. I said it was a foregone conclusion. But they managed to keep him, and what they did was they essentially swapped roles between Kluche and Rolly Melanson. So Kluche will take over Melanson's job as uh, the full-time goalie coach with the Vancouver Canucks, and Melanson will take over Kluche's job as their goalie coach in Utica and maybe Kalamazoo. But basically he's going to be a developmental coach.
0: Yeah, and, and I didn't even know this, but apparently that's what Gluche was already doing. Like, I knew that he was the goalie coach in Utica, but apparently he was already handling Kalamazoo and, and college as well. Yep. I didn't know that part. But that's basically what Melanson is doing. So that's brilliant and also extremely simple.
1: Well, they thing literally was... just, like, swap their jobs. Yeah, and and the only thing Melanson had was that he wanted to uh, he wanted to be closer to his family. He wanted to be further east. Right. And Utica, last I checked, is very far east. I believe it's in New York. Yes, that is correct. And it's in New York. Uh, interestingly enough, I didn't get this information to uh, Ryan Beach in time. He wrote the article today on the Melanson Clue News. But uh, Melanson turned down a full-time job offer from the Ottawa Senators to stay with the Canucks. So, clearly it was all family, in case anybody was thinking there was a rift.
0: Yeah, and I think he had clarified that recently as well, or somebody had for him, saying that it was strictly personal stuff and it had nothing to do with the team. He still liked the team, and that appears to be true.
1: Yeah, I mean, that said, though, it was a fair connection to make. I mean, um, let's think about it. Uh, Eddie Lack was his guy. Corey Schneider was his guy. And time and time again, they traded away, quote-unquote, his guy. So it wasn't like it was unfounded to think that he might have a little bit of a bone to pick with the Canucks. Yeah. But uh, even in my report, I said it was the same thing. He just wanted to be closer east. Well,
0: it looks like everything worked out.
1: Yeah, I, I did not want to see Rolly Melanson with another organization. No. He did too damn good a job.
0: Yeah. And there were some people that were worried about uh, Dan Clujet coming in. I heard a lot of radio reaction today, um, callers calling it to 1040.
1: Oh, about How
0: could they hire Dan Clujet? Like, oh, he's so terrible. <laughs> and they didn't seem to realize he's been working in the organization for, what, four years, six years? Uh,
1: since 2012. Yeah, so four years. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, he's already been here and he's been doing a good job by all accounts. And, like, looking at who he's handled, he's handled Eddie Lack in that time and he's handled Jacob Markstrom in that time. And, and look at the difference between Jacob Markstrom when he arrived here from Florida, especially last year, the 2014 15 season in Utica. Like, okay. Melanson would make trips there on occasion, but a lot of that was Dan Klutsche. He was the one that was working with him on a daily basis. And he was an absolute monster in the NHL last year. Yeah. And he did well in the NHL this year as well. He has resurrected his career.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's two different animals. Coaching and playing are not the same. Yeah. Uh, I mean, somebody said it on Twitter today. Rolly Lawson was awful in his playing career. So, I mean. Yeah,
0: I, I, I heard that. And then I went and looked it up. I wouldn't say he's awful. He was an all-star at one point. Oh. Yeah. Uh, he won a Jennings Trophy and he was second in Vesna voting in 1983.
1: So, well, nice. he, did, I was he did pretty decent.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I think it's because maybe they're looking at the stats and it's he his playing career lasted from 81 to 92, and only once did he have a save percentage over 900 for a season, right? But you can't forget that you're talking about the 80s.
1: Yes. So and having a save percentage above 900.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the, the only, re, uh, actually, I've, there's probably more than one season where he's had a save percentage over 900, but it only records back to 1984. So in 1983, 84, he had a save percentage of 903, and he was 10th in Vezina voting. He was second in Vezina voting the year before that, so I'm assuming his numbers were even better. His goal against average was considerably lower. Uh, and he won three Stanley Cups because he was a member of the Islanders, so, I mean, he was a backup. He actually got a pretty good gig. He got drafted by the Islanders in 79. And if you recall, the Islanders won four straight Cups, 81 to 84, with Billy Smith as their goaltender. And um, I believe Billy Smith was injured for a good portion of the 1982-83 season, and that's why Roley got such a good chance in that season. But... For the most part, Smith carried them to those cups, and maybe not carried them, but he he was the goalie of record in the majority of games in those playoffs. But he does have his name on the cup three separate times.
1: Well, I mean, I can't count. Anyways, for this
0: is another tangent.
1: Well, it's it's but relevant. I, I
0: learned something today. I I did some digging on Rolly Malans, and I found out that he was actually all right.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of relevant for talking about the guy. He just got a new uh, a new gig, so. I don't know. We've gone on worse tangents. Yep. I would say. Yeah,
0: we talked about the twins in this podcast for some reason, so.
1: Yeah, it happens. Carpeolo, they say.
0: Yeah, that's right. Something like that. There is actually another thing that we we're going to talk about um, the goaltending situation for this coming season. gives the yes. Canucks have a wealth of goaltenders to work with.
1: Yes, they do. Melvin will have his hands full.
0: That's right. And his new buddy, Kluche, that I like guess superhero pair. One of them was a sidekick, and they just switched. That's odd.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Robin's running the show now.
0: Yeah. And they even have Bachman. I don't know. That's a terrible joke. Yeah. Anyways. Um... So they have your two NHL goaltenders, which it seems... We don't think that Ryan Miller is actually going anywhere. People might have advocated for it in hopes for some cap space and things like that, but we don't actually think that's a possibility. Miller and Markham should both be back next year in the NHL. Uh, Joe Kanata's contract was up this year. So him and Richard Bachman split duties in Utica this year. Then they went and signed their draft pick, Thatcher Demko, as we are all aware, and a NCAA free agent, Gartek. So even if we eliminate Joe Kanata from this conversation, which is kind of unfortunate because I thought he was the much better of the two goaltenders in Utica last year. Blockman is signed for next year, Kanata's not. Yeah. So I would not be surprised. Just, they let him go.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the direction they're going to go. They, they just have to, and you know, at this stage, it's about who you think can help further Demco's development. Right. And, and i and I probably side with Bachman.
0: If they, you know, they like to follow their narratives through and through. If they believe that Ryan Miller has a tangible effect on Markstrom's development. I can see them thinking the same thing at the AHL level and preferring to have a veteran like Bachman working with Demko or alternating starts with Demko rather than uh, Joe Kanata, who is he himself at 23 or 24.
1: Isn't Kanata older than that? Maybe 25, I don't know. Yeah, but he's not quite a veteran. He's not quite young. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so, uh, I can see them going with the more veteran of the two. Yes. Even though I think he might have been the poor goaltender. Uh, anyways, even with that sort of in that direction, that still leaves an extra goaltender. And we're not even going to talk about Clay Witt. Yeah, no, <laughs> Just GG. Uh, <laughs> but they still have Michael Gartek to to worry about. Which means he's probably going to be starting this season in the ECHL, as Witt did last year. And Witt had a brutal season. Yeah. Um, He could barely even see ECHL ice. So I don't think that's going to happen with Michael Gartag. He's a far better goaltender, from what I can gather. Uh, But would you be worried about a goaltender being in the ECHL?
1: No. I mean, I've always thought of Gartag as a depth goaltender. Organizational depth Right Not even necessarily AHL or NHL Just organizational depth yeah.
0: And uh, the ECHL Does tend to be a bit of a black hole For positional players So when you see Your player go down there It's uh, It's a bit of a death sentence In a way For the most part There are players obviously that crawl their way out Like Alex Burrows But they're few and far between Goaltenders, on the other hand, not quite the case. And that is, for the simple reason of what we just went over, all it takes is you having five goalies signed. Someone's going to need to go down to the ECHL because they don't want to have... Especially if you're looking at guys that all need playing time. It's one thing if you have a guy sitting around because he's like a guy on a minor league contract and he's just there just because. But you want to get Garteg playing time, even though he's... You know, you like your Markstrom and you like your Demko and Gartig's like your third string goalie of the future to say, right? Like the chances of him even making the NHL are not so great, but you still want him to get playing time. So Mm -hmm. you got to put him down in the minor league of the minor leagues. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a long list of goaltenders who have gone down to the ECHL and forged pretty successful careers. And I happen to have a list of them in front of me.
1: Oh, you came prepared. Of course I did. I remember a few of them off the top of my head. James Reimer, Jonathan Quick. Um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so here's a list I have. Here's a, like some NHL starting goaltenders that have spent time in the ECHL, and Devin Dubnik is one of them.
1: Oh, yeah. And he yeah. was
0: up for Vesna consideration last year, and he played 43 games in the ECHL uh, over multiple seasons. Jonathan Quick has played 38 games in the ECHL. James Reimer has played down there. Jaroslav Halak. Braden Holpe has played a dozen games. Peter Morazik has played there. Thomas Grice. Cam Talbot. Martin Jones. As in Martin Jones, just the guy who was in the Stanley Cup Finals, starting goaltender for the San Jose Sharks. He started a game in the ECHL. Just one, but he was there. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other guys who were in backup roles. I mean, I was gonna, Michael Hutchinson's on this list, so if you want to say he's a starting goaltender, depending on your viewpoint of uh, Winnipeg's crease. Uh, Mike Condon, Jeff Zakoff, Carter Hutton, Darcy Kemper, Alex Stalock. Some of these guys aren't very good. No, But they've played uh, a large number of NHL games. Right, Carter Hutton got quite a bit of uh, ice time a couple of years ago when uh, Pekka Rene went down with injury. So there's a a long list of starting goaltenders who spend time there, and there's another list of players who still got some decent NHL time after being in the ECHL. So if Michael Gartier goes down there, which he probably will, it certainly doesn't mean that uh, we've seen the end of him. I've also got another list here, which is just as fun. Uh Oh. I mean, fun for me is not always fun for everyone else because I'm a bit nerdy. Yeah. But here's a list of uh, goaltenders who played in the ECHL and went on to play for the Canucks. All right, shoot. And I'll warn you in advance, this is not a nice list. <laughs> this is basically a list. It's a, a who's who of the crappiest Canucks goalies of, like, that entire length of time between Kirk McLean and Roberto Luongo. Or I, I should say even all the way to Corey Schneider because you have, like, all of Luongo's crappy backups on here. Anyways, Alex Ald and we like him so I don't want yeah. to lump him in with crappy ones. He's just the first on the list alphabetically. Uh, Richard Bachman, who has played down there as well, and he started a one game with the Canucks last year. He's also played with some other teams, Dallas and Edmonton, I believe. Martin Brochu, Wade Flaherty, Johan Hedberg, Drew McIntyre, Steve McKitchen, Rob McVicker, Danny Saberin, Curtis Sanford, Corey Schwab, Peter Skrudra. Those are all goaltenders that have played in the ECHL and went on to play with the Canucks. That's 12 goalies. Yoinks. Yeah. Uh, the Canucks have had 39 players that have played in the ECHL and made their and played for the Canucks at some point, and 30% of them have been goalies. Goalies tend to make up about 9% of an NHL roster. So there's your little kind of statsy take on goaltenders that go down to the ECHL are much more likely to come back up than positional players are.
1: Yeah. I would say that was a nice way to put the, the TL uh, semicolon DR on yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean.
0: Just in yeah. case you fell asleep while I was going through a bunch of no names.
1: No, I, I did not. I was listening with intent.
0: I'm sure someone will.
1: I was just People like. listen
0: to this podcast while they go to bed. Yeah. You can hear me well, talking about ECHL goalies and drift off into sweet, blissful sleep.
1: Well, it was like a, I heard you had the list, and I was like, I shall let the list the list keeper speak. <laughs> the, the floor is the list keepers. But no, I, I agree. I don't think that the ECHL is is. Um, I don't think that's where you write off a, a goalie's career. Yeah. Now, positional player, absolutely. If they're in the ECHL beyond like twenty, then yeah, their career is pretty much not going anywhere. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> goalies. You see guys
0: go down there. There's usually a reason that they're down there. Yeah. We're talking about positional players now, and they're not likely to come back up unless your team, unless there's like extenuating circumstances. Yeah. We don't want to put too much stock into Alex Grenier, for example, Um, but he looks like he could be a bottom six or fourth line player in the NHL. Not going to be a star, certainly, but he spent some time in the ECHL a couple of years ago because it was when the Canucks were sharing the Chicago Wolves with, I believe, the Blues, right? Yeah. Yeah and there just were not enough spots, and he had to go down and play in the ECHL in his first professional season. So that wasn't necessarily because he was terrible at hockey. Sometimes there are other reasons. At this point now, when the Canucks have complete control over their minor league team, if a player goes down to the ECHL, the chances are pretty good. He's not going anywhere after that. We have a writer on staff who's a big fan of Ludwig Blomstrand, yeah. but he went down there, he wasn't coming back. Same pretty much can be said for Dane Fox, who did get traded away after spending uh, about two seasons down there. And he played, I think, a single game in the AHL, and that was about it.
1: Yeah, Dane Fox. I remember all the hype around him.
0: I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned about the hype around Dane
1: Fox. Yep. Absolutely. Well, apparently
0: playing with um, Connor McDavid and Connor Brown, Dylan Strome. Inflates your numbers a bit.
1: And Brendan Gauntz.
0: And Brendan Gauntz, yeah.
1: That's right. He went to the Uriotis. Gauntz
0: can inflate your numbers.
1: Urioters for a little while. That
0: was a good team. Yep, yep.
1: But uh, I'm starting to slur my words. We've run through all our topics. I'm feeling pretty accomplished. (laughs) Yeah. And we did it in a timely fashion. Good stuff. I'm proud. I'm proud. Now, I guess by the time this is posted... We're going to have Glenn Galotson, uh coaching the Calgary Flames. We'll know more about Dan Clute and Roly Mallinson. and and we'll know about the buyout situation as well. Yep. Wow. But in the meantime, we're not working on sign off. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. I don't think Ryan's even listening.